It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by a young one we have been very excited to talk to, activist, organizer, and leader, Deja Fox. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, y'all. Thanks for having me. Any time. So yes. um, you're basically changing the world. You're saving the world. You helped elect uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And now you have founded uh, yet another organization. Uh, you've been an activist for a very long time and you are only 20 years old. Let's start there. Tell us about Gen Z Girl Gang and how that came to be. Right. Gen Z Girl Gang was really born uh, out of this transition. I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and so for me, community had always meant the people that lived around me. I got my start in community organizing, uh, organizing for sex education in my school district. But when I got into Columbia University, I was the first in my family to go to college. And I moved across the country to a place I'd never been to, uh, a city that was huge and brand new, uh, and where, in large part, the people living around me didn't share my experiences. Uh, I started to realize that community for me meant connecting with people online. Uh, and so Gen Z Girl Gang was born out of this idea uh, that our, there was so much power in our personal networks, especially as young women and femmes, uh, and that we can tap into that power online, and our generation is. Uh, and so Gen Z Girl Gang is all about redefining sisterhood in this age of social media um, and really finding ways to put collaboration over competition uh, and create a culture that does that uh, and power in our personal networks to help us be well uh, and successful. I love this so much because a couple of years. So the origin story of our radio show, um, mm -hmm. it it's <laughs> I had an idea like maybe it was like, what was it? It was okay. I'm trying to count back from 2016 election. It was like 2014, 2012, 2013. Yeah, I think I was still in law school, maybe, maybe just out. But I was sort of like, why? And 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 I was thinking sort of in my own context. I'm in. I was a writer in the media. Um, you know, watching sort of the men in the media amplify each other. I would I watch them retweet each other, engage in each other's uh, you know op eds and articles and. You know, they'd, they'd have these discussions um, on Twitter and online, uh, which then would become television segments where they would discuss the thing. Um, and I just felt like feminists needed that, too, like an intentional model where we were signal boosting each other's content. And I remember sort of having a cabal meeting <laughs> um, in uh, in New York uh, and it was like I called it like feminist signal boost. That was <laughs> uh in uh the sort of idea um concept that i had and then when it came time at the end of 2016 when jess and i um this is actually before uh we lost but we we weren't like campaign staffers that wanted to go to the white house that wasn't like why we signed up we were there to like elect a woman that would be part of history and all of that and i remember us being like what are we gonna do after <laughs> and i was like well maybe we can make the feminist signal boost thing like maybe we just become sort of like a Lenny letter type 
project where we're amplifying what women are doing. And then we lost and it became like amplifying the work women were doing in the resistance. <laughs> um, but I, I just I love this concept and this idea that, you know, you're not waiting for anybody to come up with an idea. You're just going to go do the thing. So and this isn't the first time that you've done this. So what is what is different about you than other people? Um, what what is the thing that makes you say no? I'm serious because some people, a lot of people have great ideas, right? But some, not everyone is yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna go do it right now. I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna ask for permission. I'm not gonna wait till I'm 25. I'm just gonna do it. I mean, because you're on like your third idea, <laughs> third. I mean, you've had many things already. Um, what is yeah. it yeah. about you that sort of you know that you think makes you say, all right? I'm going to get to work. That's a wonderful question. And I kind of sit with it myself sometimes. I think the first thing I'll say is Gen Z is a can-do generation. We're a generation that's had Google at our fingertips. You want to start a nonprofit, Google it, right? Um, We've had mentors that we can connect with via Instagram uh, and friends who are doing what we're doing and we can see it on LinkedIn. Um, And so in that sense, we've had communities to lean on and resources uh, at our fingertips to make uh, to make these things possible. Um, but I will say for me particularly, I have grown up with a, uh, a deep sense of agency, that I have power and control over my life. Uh, and in large part, that's because of the way I was raised. Uh, when I was 15, I left my own home. I became um, what, what uh, folks would describe as hidden homelessness. It's um, what one in 30 teens in the U.S are experiencing. Uh, And for me, that looked like living with my boyfriend at the time. For many people, it looks like living with friends, bouncing around. Um, But it was really through this experience uh, that I, one, saw the power in my story, but also saw my agency uh, to pick up and leave situations that didn't suit me uh, and to build a life that was was my own. Um, And, you know, I've made many decisions since then, whether that was co-founding the El Rio Reproductive Health Access Project that trains untraditional leaders leaders like me who are experiencing homelessness, teen moms, folks who were formerly incarcerated, to become peer sex educators in my hometown, um, or whether that was deciding to be the first in my family to go to college, right, to pick up, and not just that, but to go to an Ivy League institution, um, to found Gen Z Girl Gang. Um, I would say that uh, my ability to pick up, to start, um, to do things that haven't been done before uh, really stems from that experience and knowing uh, that I have agency over my own life. And in some ways, that's even rooted, right, um, in the reproductive justice movement where I got my start, that uh, my life is centered around choice. Um, and I, I, I kind of think that's, that's what sets me apart. But I will say that this generation is a can-do generation. I love that. I, I, I want to ask about getting your start at that age and finding your agency through through that work, because I think you took a situation that might have the opposite effect on most people in terms of understanding their agency. And you used it to become an incredibly powerful voice and advocate for, for other folks who might be going through similar things. You, you had access to, to birth control and sex ed via Planned Parenthood when you were a teenager, like so many of us, like myself. Um, but you took that a step farther and you didn't just say, okay, now I have my birth control pills. I have autonomy over my own body. I can make my own decisions. You went to, to a town hall meeting. You went to town hall meetings as an activist, as a teenager, 
And you asked Jeff Flake why he wanted to cut the program that allowed you to have that access and that autonomy. Um, that's remarkably brave, especially for somebody who has to deal with a, 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 a relatively insecure home life and school and all of the other pressures of being 15 or 16, which you were at the time. Um, talk a little bit about the, the, the journey. It seems relatively short. The journey from realizing that you had received a service that was essential to, oh, now I have to advocate to make sure everybody else can get it too. Yeah, that journey is two part, right? I am both a Planned Parenthood patient and a Planned Parenthood advocate. Uh, and the two are hard to separate because for me, when I was able to take control of my body, it meant I was able to take control of my future. Um, and Planned Parenthood showed up for me not only in that way, uh, in terms of their services, but you know, one of the very first mentors I had was a Planned Parenthood organizer, uh, a woman named Melissa Garcia, who stepped up when I was in a really, really rough time. So I will say that you know, when I was experiencing homelessness, I also uh, didn't get reelected to student council that year. I didn't make the volleyball team. I remember them saying I had, quote, a bad attitude, which, like, who wouldn't? Um, and, you know, I really was adrift in terms of my leadership. I started to feel I was going to a PWI uh, high school, and I started to feel like maybe I wasn't a leader. Um, and at this point, I wasn't even really considering college for myself. Uh, but a Planned Parenthood organizer stepped into my life uh, and really pushed me to see my own potential. Uh, and not only that, but she went the extra step. She did what organizers do, and she met me where I was at. When I told her, sorry, I can't make it to that training. My family doesn't have a car. She picked me up, you know, and I think that is everything. That story right there is, is what I try to embody in my work going forward, um, is the, is the woman who goes the extra step for other women, who meets them where they're at, who makes uh, leadership accessible to them. Uh, and that's what she did for me. And through my, my experiences advocating for sex education in my school district, I learned how to tell my story effectively. I learned the power in my story. Um, and then I took that power to town halls and to my then Senator Jeff Flake. Um, and I stood in it and I said, you know, you may be a senator, you may be an elected official, you may be older than me, you may have more experience, but my experience is lived experience, and that's my expertise in this, right? I have every right to stand here and talk to you about birth control access, and in a sense, I have more right to do it than you. Um, and I think that, that sense of power and knowing that my elected officials work for me um, and that I'm an expert in my experience is what has carried me through uh, and allowed me to even walk into rooms uh, that I soon would, right at 19, working on a presidential campaign. That was my next question, because I'm a little yeah. obsessed with this idea um, that political campaigns are a career path for people, young people um, of all backgrounds who have all kinds of skills. Um, and it's not really thought of that way. Um, I think if you if, if folks understand that a campaign is like a corporation with a you know, all of the departments that are in a corporation, the digital, the marketing, <laughs> the accounting, the lawyer, the, you know, like they have, it's a business, it's a corporation, <laughs> basically, um, particularly presidential elections, not, you know, small congressional uh, or state led races, of course. But I would say that thinking about politics as an option um, when you're really young, not, not later on, is something that I'm really fascinated um, 
by and I want to encourage more people to do that. So what was it that made you want to take time off from school and to go do almost what Jess and I did on um, Hillary's campaign, which is uh, work with influencers and digital? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is such an interesting story, uh, how I actually ended up there. I uh, had finished my first year at Columbia, right? I went for the summer to go backpacking through Wyoming, which is like a whole other story for this fellowship. And I fly back in, I'm unpacking my dorm, um, and I get a DM, an Instagram DM, uh, with a job description asking if there's anyone that I know who might be a good fit. Uh, and immediately I respond back, hey, like, I have some friends that just graduated. I'll send you some recs later today. I'm, you know, unpacking my dorm. Uh, and then uh, I, they respond back to me uh, asking if I would consider taking the position myself. And it was something um, that I hadn't even considered. I honestly, right when I saw the message, didn't think of myself as qualified, but the woman on the other end did. Um, and I think that that is, um, in a sense, so powerful. Uh, for other people to see your potential, push you to see it too, affirm you. Um, and that, that's what, that was what was done for me. Uh, and so obviously I start repacking my dorm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then within the next two weeks, um, I'd withdrawn from school, which obviously a big deal um, for someone in my position who uh, is the first in their family to go to college. Um, and I was renting a car and I drove myself to Baltimore, a city I had literally never been to, uh, signed the lease on my first apartment, um, and I started work within the next week uh, in a job that, quite frankly, didn't really exist before I got there. Um, and I met all new people, and it was this wonderful whirlwind experience. Um, and the entire time, I felt so excited, deeply excited about my candidate because she was someone I see myself in as a first-generation American, as someone who's raised by a single mom, as a woman of color. Um, and so that, that excitement is what propelled me forward into the unknown. Um, and I actually have a tattoo on my arm in her handwriting that says fearless because I think that that entire experience showed me just how fearless I am. I love it. Ugh, tattoos in the handwriting of people you love are one of my absolute favorite things. I, I, have, my, I have my stepdad's handwriting. Um, uh, about that. I mean, that's just an incredible story. And I love that. I love that you were recognized for the value that you had by somebody. And I love that that person was somebody on a presidential campaign, because we spend so much time talking about the power of young people and the youth vote and how do we reach young people. And you never see, I don't know, let's put a 19 year old on staff who gets it, who has already done this. <laughs> I mean, you were an established commodity at 19. But like, was it difficult to have your voice heard in those campaign rooms? I mean, not, you know, there's a lot of like veteran staffers who probably aren't used to um, taking advice and, and learning from a college sophomore. Was that, was that an easy transition for you? Was it a welcoming space? It was welcoming. Uh, I worked on the digital team. And so in large part, uh, my coworkers were other women of color. Uh, the campaign was the most diverse uh, in the field. Um, and I'll never forget when my boss, uh, during our orientation, uh, gave, us, gave us this talk and said, you know, you are all here because you bring a perspective. Uh, and just seeing that word uh, on the screen and reminding us that, you know, 
the value that we brought to that room was not just, you know, the years of experience I'd had in digital marketing or as an organizer, um, but rather my lived experience, that it was valued in that space. Um, and there were often times where I was in meetings only with other women of color. Um, I'm still really good friends with most of them. Um, and I think it was actually this really affirming experience of my own, um, of my own abilities in so many ways. Um, and that's not to say that I wasn't shaky on if I could do it or not when I got there. I was incredibly nervous. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't be? But uh, I will say that yes. being surrounded by powerful women of color who made me feel powerful um, really changed it. It's so cool. See, everybody working on a campaign, you can do it. You just, you just, I think that, Think about think of it as an option for you if you're a youngish person um, and you're not sure what you want to do because campaigns are a place where you can actually switch departments. <laughs> um, <Yep>. And so <laughs> if you start out in one place and you're like, I don't like this, I want to go over there. There's, you know, often moments where that is even possible. So it's it's just a really cool thing to see that Gen Z. I mean, I'm obsessed with Gen Z because as the oldest millennial, um you know, I, I can be self-aware about my generation and, and, and compassionate given our circumstances. Um, but, you know, some of, some of us, you know, we don't just get to work. We're a little whiny about it, you know. And if we do the work, we want it, the credit. We want everybody to say, look, who has done all the work. We brag about how tired we are and how many hours we work. You know, Gen Z is different. They're really different than us, um, and I, appre- I I appreciate that. It, I mean, different in better. They you don't know, have in time for of, that. They're better, right? <laughs> they're just doing the thing. They're not complaining. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop bashing my own generation, millennials. Um, what is what's next? Like, you're doing um, yeah. you're doing amazing work now. You've done amazing work in the past, um, and. I, I read you want you said you wanted to be president since you were in the third grade. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah. So are you going to be president in what year? And can I work for your campaign? Fox 2036. Uh, absolutely. I'd be um, grateful to have you. <laughs> Excellent. But when people ask me what's next, you know, this is like the most, dreadful question like this is the thing that keeps me up at night right and I think it does for so many Gen Zers like I said we're a go-getting generation we're constantly moving forward um and I also want to remind people that you know my my life has changed within the span of four years I was propelled to the forefront um with this Jeff Flake um confrontation in a way that was completely unexpected um, and then I founded an organization and I started college and I founded another organization then I went to a campaign um, and all of this happened within the space of four years. My life has completely turned around. I was working at a gas station like three and a half years ago. Like, let us not forget. Um, and so one thing I want to stress to people, and I think this is what young people need to hear, is that what's next for me is having fun. I have two years of college left, and I worked, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but I worked my ass off to get here. Oh, yeah. Um, you are. And you are. I, I mean, I worked my ass off to get here. This is the top of the mountain. Uh, and this pandemic has stolen some of what should have been the most fun years of my life. And so I hope that in saying yeah. this, I give other young people, other women of color, 
other first-generation students um, the power to say it, too. I'm going to have fun for the next few years. Uh, yes, do it. Up, that's what's up next for me. <laughs> Here's the thing. As, a, as an old so millennial, as an old millennial, I have to say, I, I feel like we have to break, but um, don't even stop just in the next couple of years. Actually make that intention for the rest of your entire life. <laughs> Um, because oftentimes I think we, I mean, I'm almost 40. So at this point, I feel like I spent a lot, a little too much time working and not enough time having just fun mm-hmm. and making intentional time for fun. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm choosing post pandemic to do that. And I want to say to you, definitely just not the next few years, just forever. You're always, you know, intentional with your fun. Hannah's yelling at me. Put in enough my ear. good work into. She's not end. yelling. She's whispering. I hope you get to enjoy your fun as soon as possible, and I cannot wait uh, to to pull the lever for you in 2036. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.